Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. But I've come to tell somebody today, your life might be a wreck. You might be in an unlikely place in your life. You might be in an unlikely place in your situation. But God can bless you in the most unlikely places. He can touch you. He can heal you. He can give you the miraculous that you need in the most unlikely places. Your testimony is great, but one thing that is greater than that is when they come into the house of the Lord and they see you being apostolic, they see your life being transformed, they see you being touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. That is the greatest thing. You just tell them, hey, if you don't believe me by looking at me, why don't you come experience it for yourself? Because sometimes the greatest blessings, the greatest relationship comes from the most unlikely places praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord amen it feels good in the house of the Lord today and it looks good in the house of the Lord today praise God hallelujah looking forward what the Lord has in store for us not only today but in the upcoming year and right at the outset this inaugural service let me say this this could be the year that Jesus Christ comes back and takes his church home with him amen I want to be watching and I want to be waiting I want to be ready amen I want to be ready we may not know the day or the hour but the season we are definitely in the season of the return of the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Grab your Bible. Turn with me today. John chapter 1 verse 43. Last night I spent three and a half, four hours in my office. I've got a little more time than I typically have uh, on Saturdays uh, until I'm able to go back to work in which time then I will be probably going back to the old uh, 738 o'clock at night on Saturday night before I get home from work worn out tired and God always comes through with with the message what he wants to say and uh, I'm afraid that maybe I have uh, kind of developed a habit because I went into the office last night for about three and a half four hours and came out and uh, told my wife I said well I have a scripture text and a title, and that's it. (laughs) She said, what have you been doing in there for three and a half, four hours? I said, I've been trying to look for inspiration. I've been praying. I said, I started one message, stopped it, and stowed it away for another time, and and, uh, waited till I felt like the Lord redirected me. And I said, I've been doing nothing but struggling in there. I said, I just have to wait till the Lord, you know, me and him have an appointment early on Sunday mornings. I guess that's the way it is. And uh, he just uh, begins to speak to me then. So I woke up this morning. She said, uh, you got anything? I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do have something this morning. So I'm, uh, the Lord has something. I'm just here to convey it to you. <laughs> amen, amen. I want to start this first service of the year off 
Right. I want, I want this to be just a, a wonderful message. I want it to be a wonderful service. I want you to feel the presence of the Lord. I want you to leave and walk away from here encouraged. We've just come through some discouraging times. Who's to say if it's over or not? You know, but the church should be encouraged because we don't, we don't uh, get our strength from the same place that the world gets their strength. We don't have hope in the same thing that they have hope in. The things that they place their trust and their hope in oftentimes fail them. But God never fails. He never fails. Praise the Lord. John 1, 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just looked at Nathanael and he said, come and see. <laughs> come and see. Amen. You know what? Our testimonies are a powerful thing. Your experience is a powerful thing. But there is nothing more powerful than when you can get somebody just come and see for yourself. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. I can't taste him for you. I can't experience him for you. You've got to find out for yourself. There's some things that you just have to see for yourself in order to re the full experience to be revealed to you. I want to preach to you today. Uh, I've titled it, A Good Thing from an Unlikely Place. A Good Thing from an Unlikely Place. God bless you. You may be seated today. Back about 13 years ago, 2007, there was a young lady, college student, uh, I'm fairly certain of that, uh, who went to a secondhand thrift store to pick up a sofa, probably for her college dorm. Not much money uh, in most of your college students. They don't have that much in their account. Unless they have a rich daddy or some rich parents, you know. But most of them are just trying to get by. So it's not uncommon that they might try to find some furniture from a second-hand store to be uh, couched for their dorm room. And so that's what she did. She went, she purchased this couch, and she brought it home. $210, and she had a piece of furniture for her dorm room. But not only was it a couch, it was a pull-out couch. It could be turned into a bed. So during the daytime, she could sit on the couch. And in the evening time, nighttime, when it was time to go down uh, for rest for the night, uh, she would be able to pull that out. And so she began to pre prepare that couch, check it out. And she opened it up and unfolded it. And as she unfolded it, she found inside of the folds of that couch an old oil painting. 10 by 15 inches wide and, uh, and, and uh, in length. And she looked at that old oil painting not knowing what it was. And she finally began to take it to a few places. Long story short, that oil painting that was in the folds of that old secondhand couch, amen, turned out to wind uh, up profiting her $27,630 at a Hamburg art auction. I'd say that's a pretty good find, wouldn't you? 
Amen. I'd love to dig down inside of my couch and find something worth $27,000. That'd be a good day for Doug Rice. In 1989, there was an unnamed man that bought a $4 framed picture of an old, just a dreary farm photo picture that he picked up at a flea market in Pennsylvania someplace. And he took it home not because of the picture, but he took it home because he thought that frame could be re redone and he was going to renew it and uh, revive it a little bit. But when he got it home and he took the picture out, the frame began to disintegrate in his hands. It was worthless. It was useless. He couldn't do anything with it. But what he discovered behind that picture was an old document that was folded up about the size of a letter. He began to open it up, not realizing really what it was. But what he had found was that he had discovered in that old framework behind that picture one of 24 known copies of the original 1776 Declaration of Independence. Wow. Yeah. And in 1961, that had sold, or 1991, he sold it for $2.42 million. I'd say that's a pretty good turnaround. Brother Curry, could you do something with a couple million dollars? Somebody needs to go art shopping uh, in this church and see what you can find. We need to build a new church. <laughs> Somebody needs to have something valuable found in some place that you really don't expect it. Now, those are two great stories, but I have to tell you, the one that is personally my favorite story is when a young 18-year-old kid uh, that had just began living his life for God again, found himself with a youth group, amen, over in St. Louis someplace at a Christian concert, just out for the evening. And as young apostolics do, we always cap every event off every evening out with food. Not rich, expensive food. We didn't go to a place that cost $50 per plate. No, we wound up at an old place that doesn't even exist anymore where you could get a roast beef sandwich for a couple bucks, amen, called Rack's Restaurant. I was sitting with my friends, and I noticed that I had another friend that uh, was an acquaintance of mine, a co-worker of mine, that actually wound up at the same restaurant that I was with a different group of people. And I was sitting there eating my roast beef sandwich. And I looked across the steam that was rising from the roast beef, across, uh, across the iceberg lettuce and the black olives and, 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 the, and the radishes at the, at the salad bar. And my eyes locked on this 20-year-old brunette beauty by the name of Lisa. And something happened inside of me that caused my heart to melt almost as soft as the dripping cheese on my chin from the roast beef and cheese sandwich I was eating. I just melted right there. Now, I know a lot of people these days, you know, they go online to find, uh, you know, uh, somebody to date. I, I, I will profess to you, I, I never did that. We didn't even have that back in my day. You had to do it the old-fashioned way. You had somebody introduce you to the person you were interested in and hope that they would ask you out. That's the way I did it. The point is, is that sometimes good things can be found in the most unlikely places. 
I didn't go there looking for the woman of my dreams. I went there looking for a roast beef sandwich. But what I got was something so much more than a full belly. What I got was a beautiful brunette that said yes a couple of, about a year later. And now we sit on 35 years of wonderful marriage with three children and five grandchildren. I'm telling you, sometimes good things come from the most unlikely places. I mean, who hasn't at one time or another found something in a peculiar place where you're just walking along and it's like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe I found this. It's not so much of what you found, but it's where you found it that makes all the difference. You might expect to bring a, an old couch home or dig down in the cushions or unfold, you know, the bed uh, out, out of the middle of the couch and find some change from a, a secondhand couch. But $27,000 paying? Are you kidding me? That's a story. That's worth telling. That's worth letting the news media know about. That's worth putting on social media. You might expect to turn a few bucks on a flea market painting, maybe fix it up. People do that all the time. They go to the flea markets, they pick out a piece of furniture, and they take it home, and they restore it, and, and turn around and sell it and make money on it, make a 100 bucks or so, or a few bucks here and there, or whatever. But are you talking about $2.4 million? Now we've got a story on our hands. Might even go to a roast beef restaurant and expect to get free refills or somebody say, would you like fries with that? Those are things that you expect to receive. Those are things that, that you get and they may surprise you a little bit or uh, you may expect to get them. I don't know. But, some, but finding the, the greatest treasure that, that this man has ever found in his life, amen, finding the one that would say yes to him when he proposed to her and have a marriage and have a beautiful life together, that was unexpected. There's some things that are mind-boggling. Not because they happened, but because of where they happened, where they originated, where the story began. Amen. And the story becomes fascinating because of the location in which it took place being so odd and so out of the ordinary that we are fascinated by the story because of where it took place, where it came from. I set this message up today because I know that in this place there might be some that feel like God can only move if you're in the right place. Where God can only move in your life and bless you in your life if you only have your act together. Where your life is perfect. Where everything seems to be in its place. Where God can only move if you're in an altar praying. Where God can only move if you've got your life all put together. If your life is a perfect life, then God can bless you. But I've come to tell somebody today, your life might be a wreck. You might be in an unlikely place in your life. You might be in an unlikely place in your situation. But God can bless you in the most unlikely places. He can touch you. He can heal you. He can give you the miraculous that you need in the most unlikely of places. John in our text is seeing the fulfillment of everything that he's preached come to pass. He is the voice crying in the wilderness. 
Sometimes that's what you feel like. You're walking with God and you just feel like you're in the wilderness. You're crying out, but you wonder if anybody's hearing you. John was just crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. I'm not the one, but I'm trying to blaze a trail here. I'm trying to help some people to understand that there's one that's coming behind me, one that's coming after me, and I'm just preparing the way for him. I guarantee you there were times when John wondered, is anybody hearing what I've got to say? There were times when John was crying out to the wilderness, and when he stopped, he got no amen. There was nobody saying hallelujah. There were times when things were going good, but I guarantee you he had some times in the wilderness where he wondered what was going on. God, why am I in such an unlikely place? But now that one is here. Everybody's been waiting for the Messiah to come. They've been looking. They're looking for a leader, a powerful figure who can set things straight, who can put things in order. They're looking for somebody that can put this kingdom together, one who can rule with authority and end all injustice. And now John is saying, here he is. It's he. I must decrease that he may increase. I must step off of the stage so Jesus Christ can take center stage. John was saying, the one that I have been preaching about, the one that I have been crying out to you about, he is here. This is he. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus steps onto the scene of their lives. They're quite impressed. If you read the story there a little bit, go down into John, you'll see where he starts gathering followers and followers start gathering followers. And I was reading the the scriptures and I read it over and over again several times. I read several chapters before it skimmed the entire, uh, all the chapters up to it and and just trying to wrap my head about what was going on here. I watched as Jesus steps onto the scene and, and one by one they say, come see the Messiah is here. And they would come and they would watch and they would say, yes, it is he. He's the one. Andrew and Peter are already on board The Bible says that next day, Philip, he's convinced. Somebody's told him he's met Jesus. Surely this is the Messiah. And the Bible says that Philip, he goes and he tells Nathaniel, you see, this is the way it works. God has called us to be witnesses. We're not just to receive the experience and believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for the world today, that he is the salvation. We're not just to believe that he is the only saving name, but we are to not only experience it, but we are to talk about it to others. But up to this point, before it gets to Nathaniel, where all the others just declared from what I can read, from what I can see that they had found the Messiah and had begun gathering people and followers to come, Philip says it just a little bit different than everybody else because everybody else doesn't mention his name or where he's from. They just says, we found him. We found the Messiah. And they come a-running, and they find out for themselves that they were correct. 
But Philip, for whatever reason, as he's talking to Nathaniel, he makes the statement, and he mentions the name, and he mentioned where he's from. He mentioned, mentions where this story originated. I've got to tell you, <clears throat> Mallory has never been a deer meat eater. Some of you have dropped off meat from your kills over the years at our house. I think we have maybe a little bit from somebody in our freezer at home uh, even right now. And I will tell you this, Mallory has never eaten one bite of it. That doesn't mean it doesn't get eaten at our house. Don't stop bringing us uh, deer meat. We, we love the deer meat. This is about 20 years ago, maybe 21 years ago. Mallory was about, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that. And we're sitting down, and my wife is going to cook supper for us th that evening, and she cooks a mean, uh, mean spaghetti, and it's good, and all of us like it. I mean, all the kids are happy when, when mama's making spaghetti. And that particular night, I don't remember if we were out or for whatever reason or, you know, me just being cheap. I'm not really sure, but we had deer, deer meat and the deer burger in the freezer. I had been out uh, deer hunting. I bagged me a deer, and I had some of it turned up into deer hamburger and so we had some pounds of that and and uh, my wife said uh, either we don't have any or we're gonna have to go get some and I was like just use the deer meat and she's like you know Mallory won't eat that and I said shh <laughs> what Mallory don't know won't hurt Mallory and that's what we did Mallory remembers this story well Mallory is sweet and kind. She is patient. But on this day, we saw a different side of our young daughter. My wife put that spaghetti out. We dug into it. I was like, oh, this is good. And if memory serves me right, Mallory was extra impressed with, with the spaghetti at this time. And she's eating that spaghetti, and me and uh, Sister Rice are looking at each other, kind of winking like, yeah, yeah, she don't know. She ain't got a clue, you know, and she's loving it. We're both smiling. You know, we weren't going to say anything, you know, uh, because we thought this would be a problem. If she don't like it, we're not going to tell her, don't want to make her mad or whatever. But now we, we saw this is the perfect opportunity in all of our parental wisdom to tell our child that we have just tricked her into eating something that she despises. Surely this will be a great life lesson for her. She'll love us for this because now anytime we eat deer, she will automatically say, mm, I remember what it tasted like on the spaghetti. It must be good. Bring on the venison. But the story didn't quite have that happy of an ending. And I remember sitting at the table and my wife Mallory was on her second plate of spaghetti. I mean, it was so good, she was having second helpings. And my wife looked at her and said, you know what that is, don't you? And Mallory said, what? Still smiling, nice and sweet. My wife said, that's deer burger that you're eating. And that smile left her face like a cockroach when the lights are flipped on. I mean, it was gone like that. She went from being the happy little 10 or 11-year-old to being the vicious little 10-year-old. I thought, get that fork and that knife. I don't care if it's a butter knife. She's dangerous right now. 
our lives are in jeopardy if we don't do something quick. You know, I was thinking to herself, she was going to look at us and say, I can't believe this is dear to me. This is so good. No, she got up from her seat. She grabbed her plate. She went over the trash can. She scraped it all off in the trash can, spit what was out in her mouth. She probably went and brushed her teeth and gargled with Listerol for 30 minutes. I don't know what she did after all that, but she was not happy about it. She's grown up a lot since those days, but she still won't eat deer, deer burger. I think we've scarred her for life. <laughs> you see, it wasn't about how it tasted because obviously it tasted good or she wouldn't have ate a, a plate and a half of it before she found out what it was. It wasn't because it was funny or it wasn't because of, uh, of who cooked it or anything like that. But when she found out where it came from, that changed the way she thought about it. <laughs> what she once enjoyed, what she once looked forward to, now she questioned. It was over. <laughs> she was mad. It took us months of therapy. <laughs> Psychological help to pull her back out of that. And sometimes we still wonder. I love you. Everybody's going around saying we found the Messiah. They're flocking to him. Nathaniel's been looking for him too. He's not just a brand new convert that they just pulled in. He's not somebody that needs a miracle in his life and don't even know who, who this is, who the Messiah is. He's looking for the Messiah as well. And he is excited and he is expectationally waiting for the Messiah to show up. And when Philip comes and says, we have found him, I'm sure that he leaped with joy until Philip made the announcement he is Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. And all of a sudden, he puts on the brakes, and he comes to a screeching halt, and he says, wait just a second. Where did you say he's from? He's Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he's from. And he stops, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's incredulous. That the Messiah comes from this, what we would call a little podunk nothing of a town. And he verbally expresses his doubts by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know what Nathaniel was looking for, but it's obvious it was something besides a Messiah that was coming out of the little burg of Nazareth, because, see, Nazareth wasn't some hustling, bustling city. Nazareth wasn't some place that had the, the greatest college. Nazareth wasn't the place that had a great farming community. Nazareth wasn't the place that had a great industry. There was nobody really famous coming from Nazareth. It would kind of be like us if we said today that the next great world leader on the scene that was going to just come forth and dazzle everybody was born and raised and did all of his schooling in the big city of Swanwick, Illinois. And the rest of the world would say, where? Where? 
You only know it if you live nearby. Nothing wrong with Swanwick. It's a little bedroom community, but there's just not a whole lot going on there. You follow what I'm saying? There's, there's, they go to a different town to go to school. Nazareth was one of those places that didn't even have a Casey store in it. There was no Dollar General that you could even go to in Nazareth. Good grief, St. Labore's even got a Dollar General. Little town, little burgs around here, they've got a Casey's. But this was just a drive-through on the way to get to where you're going kind of place. Nobody really went there. It was just maybe, maybe not even 200 people that even lived in the town by what scholars will tell us. There was nothing going on there. And so Nathaniel says, you've got to be kidding me. Are you telling me that the Messiah, the one that's going to rule and reign, comes from Nazareth? Nathaniel almost talks himself out of an audience with Jesus Christ, out of a personal face-to-face meeting with Jesus Christ himself because he can't bring himself to believe where the Messiah comes from. But Philip makes a statement. Nathaniel, he says, listen, before you rush to judgment here, before you walk away just because you can't believe where he came from, why don't you come see? Before you miss the greatest relationship of your life, before you decide that it's not worth even considering, come see. <laughs> you know what I think is going to make this church explode greater than it? You know what our greatest, power, most powerful tool is? Our testimony is a great tool. That's what, that's what Philip was, was doing. He was going to testify. Philip had already experienced him, but Nathaniel had not experienced him yet. Philip had tasted and seen, but Nathaniel was still wondering what it was even all about. He understood that there was a Messiah coming someday, but now he was having some doubts. There was a little bit of disbelief. He was incredulous about some things. And Philip just said, listen, you got to see it to believe it. Because once you go and you have an audience with the master, it won't take you 10 flat seconds before you understand that what I'm telling you is true. That what he did for me and the way he impressed me and the way he changed me, he can do the same thing for you. Your testimony is great. But one thing that is greater than that is when they come into the house of the Lord and they see you being apostolic, they see your life being transformed, they see you being touched by the power of the Holy Ghost, that is the greatest greatest thing. You just tell them, hey, if you don't believe me by looking at me, why don't you come experience it for yourself? Because sometimes the greatest blessings, the greatest relationship comes from the most unlikely places. Our music come today. Just some things you got to see for yourself. Some things you got to see to believe. 
Some things that words can't describe. I think that's what Jesus' most powerful tool was. John's in prison. He's having a little doubts himself, and he says, hey, go see, go ask him. My life's coming to an end. There's one thing I got to know. Are you here, or should we look for another? They run off. They find Jesus. What's Jesus say? He said, don't tell them what I'm saying. Tell them what you're seeing. The blinded eyes are open. The deaf ears are unstopped. Why? Because what you see is so much more powerful than what you hear. What you hear is powerful, but what you see makes all the difference. And sometimes it's hard to see a miracle when you're in an unlikely place. Sometimes it's hard to understand how God can do much when you've just come through a year like 2020. Sometimes it's hard to see in a situation like this and try to understand, God, how can we really have an end time revival? It doesn't feel like it's going to happen. God says, just come and see. Come and see. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't leave just because it don't look right. Don't leave just because of where it seems to be originating from. But just come and see. Be faithful to the house of God. You might miss the most greatest relationship, the the greatest um, experience, the greatest miracle in your entire life unless you come and show up for yourself to see what God might do. Dad and I were down on a little spot back behind my parent grandparents' farm. A little place off Bucku Creek. A little muddy creek. Let's go down through a few fields. We used to go down there and squirrel hunt all the time. This particular time we used to fish down on that creek and my dad and I would throw the old John boat in and set up snag lines and Come back the next day and check them. We'd run snag lines for a week or two. Catch a big mess of fish. One of my favorite pictures ever is my dad and I standing there with a couple of massive catfish in each, each hand that we'd caught out of that little muddy creek down there. Runs through Pinckneyville. We were down there that particular day going to go out and check all the, the lines that we had set getting ready to throw the John boat out of the back of the truck and put on the trolling motor, hop down the creek and run down the creek and do our thing. And I was following my dad and I watched him as he walked past one of the many trees that were down there and he started past it and kind of looked over and then he stopped and he backed up and he looked, looked in there again. And I watched as he reached up inside of a knot hole in that tree and pulled out a $20 bill. We were a mile, mile and a half from anybody. Nobody came down into that area. It was just us. I mean, there might have been a hunter or two that, that was down there. I, you know, I, I, I was incredulous. I couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing. My dad was pretty worked up too. <laughs> he didn't get worked up over much, but finding a $20 bill, you know, probably 40 years ago. 20 bucks went a little further than it goes today. It's not like he found something worth $2.4 million. 
I mean, I've found $20 bills before. You know, pull out an old pair of jeans or whatever and unfold them and put them on and go slip your wallet in. You feel something in your pocket. I forgot. I've been in there for years to find a $20 bill. I mean, that's nice. But doesn't really make a big story. I mean, we might tell our family, but we don't call up Channel 4 News Media and say, guess what? (laughs) It's not going to make the news. It's not going to make for a great story 40-some years later, but walking past a tree and watching your dad pull out a $20 bill out of the knot hole of a tree that's out in the middle of nowhere... I thought either God is smiling down on us or we're, we're messing up somebody's drug deal. One of the two. <laughs> you see, it wasn't the money that made the story. It was the location. And oftentimes we feel like God can't do much with us unless the sun's shining and the birds are chirping. But I haven't seen the sun in a while and the birds have flown south for the winter. 2020 has kind of made sure of that. I think we all kind of feel like we're hanging under a cloud. Church hasn't been hasn't been the same for for months now. You know we're we're doing the best that we can. God, it's not that God's not moving. It's not that. But you know what? We're we're used to seeing the the baptismal water stirred, and we're used to seeing people get the Holy Ghost. And it seems just kind of like we're hanging under this cloud. We're in an unlikely place. I'd like for it to change, but what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't change? What if things continue? What if they get worse? Are we going to give up? Are we going to walk away? Are we going to say God can't do anything? We must be in a place where God has abandoned us. God has forgotten us. You know what? Surely God could do things. I can remember what I used to dream of. I can remember what I used to see back when everything was fine and the sun was shining and the birds were chirping. But right now, we're in an unlikely place. And if we're not careful, we'll start thinking that God has moved far away and we'll start waking, moving away from God. But I've come to tell somebody today, God has not moved one iota. He's still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and he's going to be the same forever. And if he did it back then, he can do it right now. If he did it in a good day, he can certainly do it in a bad day. But I'll tell you this much, your miracle will be much more memorable if God comes in in your unlikely place and he begins to do things for you you'll appreciate it so much more we need to thank God for being in the unlikely place would you stand with me today it's not that we've stopped believing in miracles it's not that we've stopped believing that God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost it's just Our circumstance seems unlikely. It's made it more difficult for us, but not for him. You see, we've got to get the mindset that no matter what circumstance we're in, no matter how unlikely the place that we're in is, that God is still God. 
and he's able to meet our needs and he's able to protect us and he's able to watch over us and he's able to still heal relationships and he's able to still draw the backslider in to a place of repentance and he's still able to meet the needs of our neighbor and convict their heart and cause them to come but we at the church we've got to be the place that says come and see come and see you've got to come and see but when they get here we better have something to show them we can't just sit back and say well we're in a bad circumstance we're in an unlikely place no sometimes we've got to be able to show the world that God's greatest blessings come from the most unlikely circumstances in our life about all the time we preach about David and Goliath unlikely circumstance we preach about the three Hebrew children walking into a fiery furnace what are we talking about an unlikely circumstance we preach about Daniel lowered down into a den of lions what are we talking about a miracle that took place in an unlikely Uh circumstance Don't tell me God can't meet your need. Don't tell me he can't help you where you're lonely. Don't tell me he can't meet your need in your family. Don't tell me he can't reach your lost loved one. Don't tell me he can't touch the heart of your wayward child. Don't tell me that he can't give you the job that you need. Don't tell me that he can't provide for you even in the midst of a pandemic. I'm telling you, we may be in an unlikely place, but God is the God of our unlikely place, and he can still do great miracles a good thing from an unlikely place is there anything good that could come from Nazareth our version is there anything that can good that can come out of a year like we've just been through is there anything good that can come out of our circumstance and I've come to tell somebody that's doubted in your heart what God is able to do right now because everything looks all messed up that God can still bless in the unlikely place he's here to meet your need today as they begin to sing this song I hope that on this first service that you're experiencing the power of the Lord today that this word touch your heart and encourage you and help you to understand that you're not forgotten no no you're you're sweet to him you're the apple of his eye god knows right where you're at and once god comes down and touches you amen in the middle of your circumstance you're going to have a story to tell you're going to have a story that lasts through the ages a host of witnesses that are watching are you going to walk away are you going to walk away in doubt and disbelief or will you come see what he can do will you experience Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.